This is Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, Licensed Insolvency Trustees. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of this station. Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO on VOCM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Money with Nancy Snedden. I am Nancy Snedden. Thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we're going to talk about financial elder abuse. As our population is aging and becoming a growing concern across the country and here at home in Newfoundland and Labrador, so we want to make sure that our aging loved ones are protected. So joining me for some advice on this topic is Jackie McCann-Scott. She's a certified financial planner, founder, and owner of Invested Mama, Inc., and Annette Scott of Annette Scott Law Office in Conception Bay South. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the invitation and the opportunity. So I want to point out the timing of this show is good because June is Seniors Month in many provinces, including here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And of course, Wednesday, June 15th marks Elder Abuse Awareness Day. So that's why we're talking about this today. Um, Not that we should only once a year talk about this stuff. It certainly is a very important topic and something that we want to make sure we're all mindful of. So let's start off the discussion, though. I want to read an expert, an excerpt story from the FCAC website regarding financial abuse among seniors because it really, really did impact me. So it reads, financial abuse is the most common form of elder abuse in Canada. Financial abuse abuse can happen at any time, but it will often start after a health crisis or after the death of a spouse, partner, or close friend. People who are alone, lonely, or in poor health are more vulnerable. They may find it harder to protect themselves from demands for money. It's really hard to hear that. I can't imagine taking advantage of a family member, let alone an elderly family member when it comes to finances, but we know it's happening. So Jackie, what's your reaction to that? Um, Similar to yours, Nancy, I I was shocked and saddened, you know, as I was reading that FCAC report um, to think about the most vulnerable in our society being taken advantage of and exploited at the most vulnerable times in their lives. So it's not just, you know, the fact that um, that elders do do tend to be more dependent on others, but also, you know, the fact that the increases of incidents tends to happen when they've just gone through a major, you know, uh, tragedy or loss or life event. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just awful. No, it really is. You know, as hard as that is to read, the statistics do show that it's happening, right? And it's even harder to take because it, it is so concerning. So when you look at the latest survey conducted by the Canadian security administrators, nearly one third at 29% of Canadians know a victim of financial elder abuse. Just as concerning is that nearly half at 42% say they could not recognize the signs of financial abuse, and nearly half at 47% don't know where to report causes of financial abuse. So that certainly is concerning, Annette. Are you surprised by these statistics, and are you seeing red flags, reasons to be concerned among some of your clients? Um, I'm a little surprised at the high rate, um, and sadly, I I do see some of this in my practice. I, I can't say that I see a lot of it. But what I do see a lot of are um, the circumstances where it could occur. Of course, you know, most of the time I have no way of knowing whether it's going to occur or not. Um, Sometimes uh, I'm fairly certain that something, you know, uh, untoward is happening. 
Um, and when it is, it generally lines up with the types of, you know, situations that uh, people typically talk about where, you know, for example, it's a child who's taking advantage of a, a parent and, and that sort of thing. I am seeing, I do see these red flags. Like I said, sometimes I don't know if, if something, um, you know, that shouldn't be happening is happening, but I see the circumstances where it could happen a lot. Just uh, yesterday, for example, I had a, an elderly lady come in who had several children. She came in with uh, the one child who she was leaving everything to and that person sitting in the waiting room. Um, so obviously that, you know, that's the kind of situation where a red flag is, uh, you know, goes up and, and uh, you know, is there more to the situation and why is the person, you know, making this particular choice? No, for sure. And you, you don't know, right? And I guess you had to be careful about how much you pry. You're there to provide legal advice as opposed to maybe um, what's going on in, in their personal life or getting into a lot of detail there. But what are some red flags that you see in your practice, Jackie? Uh, well, I guess the, uh, like Annette, I'm fortunate in that I don't see this a lot of my practice. I've, uh, you know, but there have been times where there would be some red flags. Um, I think it's easier to identify a red flag, the better, you know, your client. And there's been a real focus on getting to know our clients more in the financial services industry. You know, thankfully, um, you know, the planning profession has, Tended, has been on a, you know, I guess a trend of moving away more from transactional financial planning, you know, where it's all based on the, the product being sold or the investment being set up and more to, you know, holistic planning where we really do get to know our clients. And when you have a basis of knowing what your clients needs are, what their goals are, what their you know, um, patterns of behavior are, I find it's much easier to identify a red flag if you've invested that time into getting to know your clients. Because someone that, you know, has always been very cautious, for example, with their money and has expressed to you on several occasions, you know, a concern about having their assets last throughout their life expectancy, who all of a sudden comes in with, for example, an adult child and wants to start cashing out RSPs despite the tax consequences, that would be a red flag. But if this is someone who I had just set up a contract with and now they're taking money out without having done that work to get to know the client, I think, you know, it would be easier to go undetected. So I'm really thankful that, you know, as an industry, we're taking the time to, you know, get to know what our clients, you know, want and need and require so that we can spot these things when they happen. No, absolutely. It's so, so important. And, you know, as concerning as these statistics are, I think what's even more alarming for me is that there's an expectation we're going to see these numbers rise. So according to a recent article, Canada securities regulators have issued a warning regarding an increase in the instances of financial elder abuse as the baby boom generation ages. We know from the latest statistics Canada census released just this year that the number of Canadians aged 55 to 64 has surpassed Canadians aged 15 to 24 for the first time ever. And the number of people over 85 is expected to triple over the next 25 years. In fact, the latest stats show our senior population will grow by 68% in the next 20 years. And the problem of financial elder abuse is expected to have even more of an impact here in the Atlantic provinces because our populations are proportionally older than the national average, of course. So, Jackie, what's your response to this, the fact that we're going to see an increase in financial abuse among our, among our seniors? I'm sure you're just as concerned as I am. Absolutely. And I think in, you know, and I I know this province well, you know, it's it's where I've 
been born and raised. Um, but I, so I, I can only speak to what happens here. But I feel that not only are we at a higher risk because we have a proportionally older population, but also because culturally people don't like to talk about money. They don't like to, you know, um, discuss it good, bad or otherwise. And we also, because we tend to have a population that is so spread out and, and not all parts of the province have access to the same resources necessarily, or historically they have it now, obviously, uh, because of, you know, technology in theory, we're all connected, but I think there's a real lack of financial literacy among the aging population among the entire population, but in particular, the aging population. And that, that concerns me. And, you know, and that's for me in preparing for this show was a real opportunity to say, how can we as professionals in this industry do better to not just spend, you know, an hour today talking about how bad the situation is, but what I'd really like to take away from it, Nancy, is now that we know this, how can we be reversing these stats and trying to make these trends, you know, go in a better direction than we see they're going right now? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've seen it in my practice too, right? I'll have a senior come in and they've uh, accumulated a significant amount of credit card debt, but it's not that that they actually um, use themselves, right? It's that their card was taken or maybe given in some instances to uh, a family member, you know, be it a child, grandchild, uh, a friend, right? It's not always someone in the family that is responsible for for this abuse. There are other abusers and, and the FCAC also indicates, right, that you should be wary of that, that it's, although usually people who have a close connection, like a family member, uh, it could be another relative, not necessarily son, daughter, grandchild, it could be a friend, a neighbor, even a caregiver, right, which is almost, I know it's all very troubling, but that's almost even more troubling to me that you've hired someone to care for um, someone in your family who needs, uh, you know, home care or in home care. And, um, it, it ends up being a situation of financial abuse. So with the number of incidents of financial abuse, the seniors expected to rise. Are there warning signs that we should be aware of? We talked a little bit about it, but how do we protect ourselves as we age and, and how do we protect our aging loved ones? We're going to hear from our guests on that when we come back. Please stay with us. Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels, newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here on VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Snedden, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guests today are Jackie McCann-Scott. She's a certified financial planner, founder and owner of Invested Mama Inc. and Annette Scott of Annette Scott Law Office located in Conception Bay South. So the focus of today's discussion is financial abuse among our seniors. It is a growing concern here in Canada and, of course, here at home in Newfoundland and Labrador. And it's becoming an even bigger concern as our boomer population ages. Before the break, we talked about the growth of financial abuse that is happening. And, and something that's alarming about this is that financial abuse can be difficult to identify or even recognize. It's because often a pattern rather than a single event is happening over an extended period of time. So I have another excerpt I want to read now. This one is from a poll conducted by RBC Refinancial uh, elder abuse. According to Statistics Canada, 96% of abuse experienced by older adults goes hidden or undetected because it's often difficult to ascertain, often because it's a gray area. The challenge is determining when is it assisting with estate planning and when is it stealing. So Jackie, what's your response to this? Like how, how can we tell the difference and how can we uh, you know, be mindful to, to keep an eye out for this stuff? 
Well, you're right. It's it's really difficult to spot. And, uh, you know, the definition of financial abuse, you know, says it's the illegal or authorized, unauthorized use of someone else's money or property. And it includes pressuring someone for money or property. And that's the thing that, you know, in the roles that Annette and I play, we may not be aware of in terms of the fact that a person is being pressured and it mentioned, you know, that adult child sitting in the waiting room, is that a form of pressure? Maybe, maybe not. So it's very difficult to ascertain, you know, is, is this just something where, you know, the senior of their own free will has decided to, you know, financially help, you know, a member of their family or friend circle, or if this is something that, you know, they feel obligated to do because of, you know, pressure that's being put, put on them. Um, so, you know, and again, you know, I come back to our cultural norms here in this province. You know, um, when I was reading through some of the research for today's show and talking about, you know, being forced to provide free labor, for lack of a better word, in terms of, you know, caring for grandchildren and children or, you know, um, housekeeping or, you know, buying groceries and things like that. It's we are a culture that wants to help each other. And, you know, but if we're doing that, under pressure or to our own detriment, then, you know, is that abuse? And that's the, the type of conversations that I think is really important for us to be having today. No, absolutely. And Annette, from your perspective, you know, in the, in the legal community, what are the more common forms of financial abuse that seniors can fall victim to? And, and what should our listeners be paying attention to or looking out for? Um, well, you know, sadly, the most common scenario is, um, uh, is seniors being taken advantage of uh, by relatives? You know, as to the, this difference you referred to between, um, you know, what's uh, stealing and what's managing. It, oftentimes, I find that it, it starts out as one and becomes the other. Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, an adult child is put on a, a senior's bank account. That's a very common arrangement. It's done for convenience sake to help pay the senior's bills and, and that sort of thing when they maybe are, are, you know, losing their mobility or their health is a bit impaired or whatever. Um, but then, you know, the child runs into some financial problems and um, maybe starts taking some money for their own use. The difference, of course, is in whose money is the uh, interest, is, is the money being used? Is it in the, you know, um, you know, the child's best interest in that example or the, the parent's best interest? Um, I would be, the, the one thing I would say would be uh, be wary of requests to give control over your money or property to someone else. I, I think we as a people in general, but seniors in particular, are too quick to do that to sign a form that's put in front of us by uh, a bank, like a, just a very general open-ended power of attorney form, um, to read things without signing them, that sort of thing. Uh, one of my mantras is never, ever, ever sign anything without getting some independent advice. And that doesn't necessarily mean going and hiring a lawyer or an accountant or you know, paying a lot of money for advice, but just someone who doesn't have a vested interest that you trust. No, absolutely. And you mentioned power of attorney there. So it's really important. I mean, we're going to talk about uh, a few things that you should get legal advice on and, and get some, you know, make sure you're talking to a professional before you, you sign on for anything. But before signing a power of attorney for your property, you know, you really do need to consult the Lord. And so you really are aware of all the, the, implica the implications there, right? So what should be taken into consideration when choosing a power of attorney? Um the number one uh, thing that I, I tell people is um, it's an issue of trust. It's someone that you trust implicitly. 
um, you know, someone, you know, literally you put your life in their hands because to a great degree you are. Uh, what I explain to people is you're allowing them to be you, essentially. They can do anything with your money or property uh, that you could do. And um, what I try to do in those situations uh, is what I explain to people is to try to find a balance between security and convenience. Um, the more convenient you want it to be for your child, for example, that's the most common scenario, to use the power of attorney, the less secure it may have to be. Um, the more secure it is, the more cumbersome it may be to use. For example, I will often put clauses in a power of attorney document whereby um, it can only be invoked if absolutely necessary, and that has to be confirmed in writing by a letter from a doctor that has to be attached to the, the power of attorney document. Now, that makes it more difficult to use, and sometimes family members don't like that, but as a lawyer, I tend to err on the side of uh, security, and uh, my number one reason for doing that is the fear of elder abuse, financial elder abuse. No, absolutely. You want to make sure it's secure for the person that you're instituting for as opposed to convenient for the, for the power of attorney. So for our seniors that are out there and that are listening, when should they consider a power of attorney, a power of attorney story to be appointed? Um, just a, It's just a rule of thumb for me in my practice. Uh, I generally start putting it out there to clients who are age 70 and older. Um, because the concern, of course, is that as we age, we're more prone to health problems. Um, I kind of struggle with this one because um, I don't have people enter into powers of attorney lightly because they're such broad instruments that give so much control over a person's money and property and therefore their life. Um, but uh, on the other hand, if something happens suddenly and uh, a power of attorney is needed and it wasn't done, then you have a whole other situation where you have to go get court orders, and I won't get into the technicalities of that, but that's much, much more difficult. So the compromise that I've reached with clients in my own practice is to say, okay, if you haven't thought about it up to now, you're 70, 75, 80, 85, or whatever, uh, I think you should start thinking about this um, and do a power of attorney. My typical scenario is husband gives the power of attorney to wife and vice versa with uh, no caveats, no, you know, no uh, limitations. And as an alternative, uh, you may have a child or other relative or close trusted friend, friend um, who is your alternate attorney, but only in a case where it's necessary. And again, it has to be um, you know, confirmed by a doctor that you can't act for yourself. So to me, that's the compromise where you have it in place, but it's not used unless it's absolutely needed. Yeah, that sounds like some good advice. And there's things that seniors should do to protect themselves from financial abuse. So be wary of phone or email requests asking for banking or other personal information, right? Your financial institution is not going to call you and ask you for this information. So if someone is calling asking for this information, it likely is a scam or some sort of um, fraudulent activity. Make sure you're keeping your passwords and personal um, identification or your PIN number to yourself. Avoid writing them down or sharing them with friends or relatives. And once you've shared your PIN for a credit or debit card with another person, you know, you're risk giving up the liability protection. So if you have some sort of liability protection on your credit card, but you've given out your PIN, that could void that. So there's some other things too, Jackie, that seniors should do to protect themselves. What else can you tell them? Well, uh, you know, it, it's always shocking to me when I'm working with seniors, how much they you know, like to have cash on hand. So, you know, actual cash on hand. And, you know, in, in the scenario that uh, we talked about, you know, earlier where, you know, maybe you have a caregiver that's coming into the home now that's a paid caregiver. And again, you know, 
more more often than not, those situations are, you know, wonderfully supportive relationships. But, you know, if you have a caregiver or a family member or someone who themselves is struggling with, you know, debt or, uh, you know, financial stress or even, you know, addiction or gambling issues, you know, if, if there's cash in the house that's easily accessible, even if the person didn't come in with the intention to take it, you're certainly opening up the the possibility for that happening. So I encourage, you know, senior clients to, you know, have things set up so that they're automatic bill payments that, you know, they, if they do need to have some cash on hand, it's not a large sum that most of their things are being paid for automatically. And, and I really found through the pandemic that the amount of, um, you know, I guess, tech savvy that I saw amongst my older clients in terms of getting more comfortable, you know, doing some banking online because they weren't able to physically go to branches, um, you know, and getting more comfortable understanding, you know, their statements and their bills and things. The, the uptake was incredible. So, you know, again, you know, to bring a little bit of hope to an otherwise very dismal conversation, I know that seniors can arm themselves to be more prepared and, and certainly, you know, learn the tools and the skills that they need. It's also really important to build yourself a support network. Isolation can often increase the chances of abuse. So, you know, make sure that you have, you know, trusted people in your support network, whether they be professionals like a planner or an accountant or a lawyer or just other family members or friends. A lot of community organizations, senior centers will have groups where people can come together after they've had a loss and it's a safe space for them to, you know, share if they feel like they're being pressured or if maybe someone has borrowed money that they haven't paid back. So there's, you know, uh, there's definitely strength in knowledge and there's strength in numbers. Absolutely. And of course, asking for help if you think that you're experiencing financial abuse or something just doesn't feel right, talking to people about it uh, is super important too, because maybe then they can get you some help or really identify whether or not there's, there's a problem. And of course, fraud is another form of financial abuse that seniors often fall victim to. And we're going to talk about this and offer some advice on how they can protect themselves when we come back. Please stay with us. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here in VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Snedden, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm joined today by Jackie McCann-Scott. She's a certified financial planner, founder and owner of Invested Mama Inc. and Annette Scott of Annette Scott Law Office, which is in Conception Bay South. So today we're discussing financial abuse among our seniors and the unfortunate reality is it happens more often than we realize and it often goes unreported. So before the break, we talked about the more common types of financial abuse for our seniors face and and Jackie and Annette had some great advice for listeners on how to protect themselves. But how can you also protect an aging loved one from becoming a victim of fraud? So another form of financial abuse, of course, is fraud. According to the advocacy group, Canadian Association of Retired Persons, seniors in Canada, particularly Atlantic Canadians, are increasingly becoming the targets of scams. So what is concerning about this type of financial abuse, of course, is that it can happen in person through email, phone calls, other online uh, avenues. And we saw more instances of this during the COVID pandemic, of course. And Jackie, you mentioned isolation is often an issue and many seniors were isolated during the pandemic. So let's talk about the various types of financial frauds and scams targeting seniors today. And Jackie, what's some advice on how our seniors can protect themselves or, or how we can protect an aging loved one from falling victim to financial fraud? 
Well, certainly the the various forms of financial fraud that we see, and you you hit on some of them there, um, you know, the email and the phone fraud, you know, someone calling, typically posing as someone in a position of authority. And, you know, and again, um, wanting to, you know, like whether it's be your bank or CRA, um, those things, as you mentioned, make sure that, you know, the seniors in your life know that a bank or the government will never call asking for financial information. Um, identity fraud as well. And, you know, I I joked uh, with some of my clients, you know, the best gift you can give your parents, you know, for Christmas is a shredder. You know, being able to have a safe way to dispose of documents, you know, there are things coming in and making sure that you're not throwing things out in your regular mail because people who commit identity fraud, you know, they, they're not above, um, you know, searching through someone's, someone's garbage, unfortunately. Debit and credit card fraud. So again, you know, giving maybe your card to someone close to you, a family member or a friend to go pay bills or to, you know, do some banking for you, you know, make sure that you check your statements to identify that each of those transactions were authorized by you. And and if they weren't, you know, um, reaching out for support to how you can have that conversation with the person that may have, you know, um, used your your cards in error or not in error, but, you know, um, unauthorized. There's also, you know, um, online fraud. Again, and that kind of speaks to the whole debit, credit card, identity fraud. It's all wrapped up in the online fraud because, as I mentioned, more seniors are going online now. They're going online, and because they're there, there's more opportunities for them to be hacked and for their accounts to be hacked. And, you know, they shouldn't not use those tools out of that fear, but just a few tips that they can keep in mind is not to click on any pop-up windows or respond to emails if they don't know the person. And even if they know the person, if the context of that email or the attachment seems odd, you know, pick up the phone, call the person who's sending it to you. More often than not, you know, if it doesn't feel right, it's not right, you know. Make sure that, you know, you never feel pressured to sign something that you don't understand what you're signing. And those limited time offers, those act now or pay, you know, pay more later, there's always time. You know, take your time, approach these things, you know, with your questions answered, with clarity and with, you know, the support of people whose opinions you trust and who have, you know, implicitly your best interest in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, if it seems too good to be true, it often is too good to be true. Um, and some other things that I've seen in my practice is where, you know, they've been told that they've qualified for something, right? It could be uh, a cash sum or a trip or some sort of merchandise, um, but they need to send you know, a certain amount of money in order to have, you know, pay for the shipping or pay for the transfer charges or whatever the case may be. There's nothing like that that you should ever be looking at or, or, you know, sending money to anyone. Like if you truly want something, then you've won it. You shouldn't have to pay to, to claim the prize. So, but it's easy, right? For, for, for seniors, especially if they're experiencing financial difficulty to think, oh, well, if I just do this, I'll get that. Right. And it's, uh, you always want to make sure you're getting advice and talking to your friends and family before you're, you're doing anything like that at all. So some other general tips to help avoid becoming a victim of fraud. So keep important personal documents such as your birth certificate, social insurance number, and your passport in a safe and secure place. Don't carry them around with you, even if you, especially, you know, if you don't, don't need them for, for what you're doing. Never give out personal information such as your credit card number, bank account number, or social insurance number over the phone, at the door, or online unless you know and trust the person. 
and be careful when you get rid of old statements and bills. Like Jackie said, it's really important to shred that stuff. I mean, especially these days when garbage bags are clear and, and there's no hiding uh, sort of what's in there. So if you've got stuff in there that's easily seen, uh, you certainly want to make sure you're shredding that stuff and, and not just throwing it out. Fraudsters can run through your garbage and recycling to look for stuff like old bank statements and things like that. So Annette, what other advice do you have for how seniors can avoid becoming a victim of fraud? Um, well, from a legal perspective, I guess I would just say don't sign anything without advice from uh, a neutral third party who has only your interests at heart. Uh, as I said before, someone who you trust implicitly. Um, honestly, I don't see a lot of uh, fraud in, in my practice. It's more um, financial abuse, which sometimes I guess is just another way of saying theft. Uh, you know, the person who you give control over your money, taking it and using it in their best interests and, and not yours. But um, you know, I'd reiterate some of the things that have already been said. If it sounds too good to be true, if it doesn't feel right, if you feel pressured, listen to your gut. Um, don't sign anything. Don't give consent to anything without talking to someone else that you trust first. Bounce it off of um, somebody who you have confidence in. Um, and another thing I, I would stress, uh, you know, given the type of work that I do, I tend to see these things after the fact, after they've happened. Um, when oftentimes it's too late to do anything about it. An ounce of prevention really is worth a pound of cure in these circumstances. I will have people come to me after they've given up control over money. Or for, I'll give you an example. Um, a blanket power of attorney was given to a child. child then took uh, a large amount of money out of the parent's bank account and now won't give it back. Um, very difficult to do anything, uh, to do much about that. Um, you're looking at asking, you know, elderly, sometimes frail people to engage in a legal action, their recourses to sue. Now they may not have the money to do it with, and oftentimes it's cost prohibitive. And sometimes, for example, in these cases of, of fraud, um, you know, it may not be possible to even, uh, you know, have the necessary information to pursue a legal action. If you did, you may not have a way to realize on the judgment, you know, there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. Um, because this person is gone with your money, and uh, even if you could find them, they're probably not going to be able to pay it back. Like, it's so much harder, if not impossible, to undo these things after they happen. Um, so I would just stress to people, um, you know, take caution before you do so. I think sometimes people enter into these things, even when they feel a little bit uneasy about it, uh, hoping that it's going to work out, and don't seek help or advice until after something has happened. Uh, I would urge them, please don't do that. Listen to your instincts. Listen to your, your gut. And if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Go talk to someone else about it first. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love your point on making sure you really understand what you're signing before you sign it. You know, I was talking to you guys during the break about you know, some instances I've seen in my practice where, um, you know, seniors have co-signed for vehicle loans or co-signed on other lines of credit or loans for family members. And, you know, it's often, or at least I like to think it was with good intention that the family member wanted a vehicle and had no intention that the, the senior would ever have to make a payment on that vehicle. But, you know, it happens where they can't make the payments or, you know, the vehicle loan goes in a default, gets repossessed, and now they're looking to the senior for payment on that loan. And oftentimes the seniors don't realize when they've co-signed that they are actually legally responsible for that debt if their family member doesn't sign. 
right? And it, so making sure that it's it's really explained to you exactly what you're signing and what your responsibilities for that stuff is going to be is so, so important because of course the first instinct is, oh, I, of course I want to help my son or daughter or, or grandson or granddaughter get a, a vehicle, right? They're going to make the payments. It's, you know, but I, I want to make sure I'm helping them, but you need to really understand. The other thing I see quite often too is, you know, um, we talked earlier about power of, powers of attorney and having access uh, to bank accounts and so on. But it's important to note that if your family member and you are joint on a bank account, if that family member does get into trouble, their creditors do have access to take money out of that account if their name is on it. Uh, so important to understand all that stuff as you're putting that, uh, that in place. So Jackie, any other advice you'd like to leave our listeners with today around protecting themselves from fraud? Um, I, you know, I, I really, I guess feel bad for folks that don't have a good support network because you know what we're what we're talking about here in terms of trusting your instincts and seeking advice you know is good for those people that do have a support network so you know I really would encourage your listeners that is key having that you know a sober second thought that person whose you know judgment you respect and trust who you know has your interests in mind you know when things don't feel right or when you're you know not quite clear on what it is you're being asked to do um, gaining that clarity is key. I, you know, I really feel like um, as a as a you know as a province and as a community, we need to do a better job of seeking out those seniors who may not have the luxury of a support system or a sounding board or people they could trust, and and get those resources in front of those people. That's certainly something that I'm I'm taking away from our conversation today. No, absolutely. You know, we, we've talked about how seniors can be mindful and, and make sure that they're doing things to protect themselves. But there's things that family members can do to help in the of financial abuse. And, and also there's industry experts out there that are looking to do things to help protect our seniors. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. Please stay with us. Your VOCM mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 530 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guest today is Jackie McKenna-Scott. She's a certified financial planner, founder, and owner of Invested Mama, Inc., and Annette Scott of Annette Scott Law Office located in Conception Bay South. So we've been talking about elder abuse today and specifically financial elder abuse. And, and as you've been hearing, it really is on the rise here in Canada and in Newfoundland, Labrador. Throughout the show, we've been offering advice for seniors on how to better protect themselves from becoming a victim of elder abuse. But I want to talk a little bit now, Jackie, about what family members can be doing. So what are some of the warning signs that people should be looking out for to ensure an aging parent or loved one isn't falling victim to financial abuse or frauds or scams for that matter. Well, I guess uh, in order to see the warning signs, it's really important that you're regularly checking in with the seniors in your life and, and you're keeping open dialogue and, and conversations going. I, you know, as we said at the very onset of today's show, you know, the increase in financial elder abuse tends to correlate with the increase in elder isolation. So it's important for family to stay connected with those loved ones and make sure that, you know, they're, they're having open dialogue you know, asking questions about, you know, uh, if they mention that they've been requesting information over the phone or that, you know, they've, they've won a prize, as you said, and they need to send in information, um, you know, even something 
like past due bills. If that's uh, that's something that, you know, this person has always prodded themselves on having their bills paid on time and they start mentioning about, you know, I'm behind on my light bill or I, you know, uh, those types of things. If that's out of character, uh, you know, maybe it's time to ask a few questions about why that's happened. Um, and if they start talking about, you know, a, the biggest asset that a lot of seniors have in this province is home ownership. And there's a lot of, you know, true legitimate ways that people can use equity in their home to build some emergency or contingency planning into their retirement years. But there's also, like everything, you know, a few bad apples out there that might be looking at ways to use, you know, reverse mortgages to transfer ownership of property, on, you know, in an unauthorized or, you know, uh, illegal way. So be careful about those types of things. Um, it's important that, you know, we seek opportunities as family members to help grow the financial literacy skills of our seniors. Financial literacy, you know, is a way to develop your knowledge and your skills and more importantly, your confidence. Because I think a lot of times seniors are more prey to scams and to pressure and abuse when they feel like they don't have a strong handle on, you know, what their options are and what their choices are, or they don't understand what's being asked of them. So, you know, helping your family members find opportunities to grow that literacy base, to understand the various impacts and whether that's through conversations they have with you or, you know, putting them in touch with, as I mentioned, seniors groups. Um, I know that the Canadian, um, the CPA, the uh, Chartered Professional Accountants, they often will do free seminars where, you know, they will talk about different aspects around tax and around government benefits and, you know, um, legacy and estate planning and beneficiary designations, power of attorney. So there are resources out there. And if you're not yourself literate enough to provide that information, helping connect the seniors with different resources that might exist in their community so that they can grow that base. Because with, you know, knowing better, they're going to do better. And with confidence, I think there's less of a chance for abuse. No, absolutely. Knowledge is power, right? We've said that so many times here on the show in, in various topics that we're talking about, but it truly is. And, and we know that growing the financial literacy skills of seniors, it really was a priority of the federal government when they launched the National Strategy on Financial Literacy back in 2015. And the mission at the time was to strengthen the financial literacy of seniors by increasing their knowledge, skills, and confidence to make responsible financial decisions. So it's key that strategies at that time were focusing on engaging more Canadians in preparing financially for their senior years, empowering seniors to plan and manage their financial affairs, improving understanding of public benefits for seniors, and increasing tools to combat financial abuse of seniors. So, Annette, do you believe our seniors are more aware today? Is there more awareness needed? And, and if so, how do we grow that awareness? Um, I, I think there are. In um, in my own personal experience, um, I think seniors are getting more used to technology, some of them. Um, like I, I'm seeing them, you know, using things like iPads because you don't get, uh, for example, the store flyers anymore. Uh, just small things like that. They have email addresses and they use them more than, you know, more than they used to years ago. Uh, but I think that can be a double-edged sword because getting on that, you know, uh, black hole that is the Internet can uh, can pull you into uh, other things, even though it can create conveniences for seniors whereby they don't need to rely on third parties as much, um, you know, to take care of financial transactions. Um, a couple of things that, um, you know, I would encourage from, again, just uh, observing families in my own practice is to... Um, 
encourage people to talk about it. Uh, and we talked about, you know, how children sometimes are the perpetrators of financial abuse. And I feel kind of bad saying that because I think most people are good and decent people and most children are trying to do right by their parents. Um, but sometimes what you see is it almost becomes like a reverse child-parent relationship. Um, and uh, what happens with the senior is then that they sometimes are not open with the children. They don't want them to know what they're doing because they're afraid they won't agree with it. They'll get upset. There'll be a confrontation that they don't want to have. They know their kids are busy. They have full lives, and they don't, um, you know, they don't want to cause any upset or trouble. Um, I, I think it's important for families in this type of situation, you know, where you've got the middle-aged children looking after the older parents, is to cultivate an open relationship of communication, encourage the, their seniors to, you know, their parents to um, take part in the decisions, not take their lives over for them, you know, um, because it isn't a reverse child-parent situation, which I see sometimes and which really bothers me. Um, you know, these people might be older, but they're not, they're not children. They haven't lost their, you know, their knowledge, their experience, their, their life experience, their intellect. They should be involved in their own decision-making. Um, and if something, you know, if there's that open and honest communication, um, then I think something's less likely to happen. And if something does happen, I would encourage people to report it. Um, we have, if we want to take the stigma away from these things happening, we have to talk about it. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of times seniors are too embarrassed to, re, you know, to report it. And again, sometimes it's because they don't want to upset their children. Yeah, we've talked about that when we've uh, done Fraud Awareness Month shows uh, in November and how, you know, the, the, the numbers on fraud scams and the, the money that's lost due to fraud each year. I mean, it's just staggering, but it's, a, it's a, you know, scratching the surface because so much of it doesn't go reported. So really the, the known amount is, well, it's unknown really, right? Who knows how big the number actually is, but we always encourage people when we talk about that stuff that you do need to report it because not only to see if maybe there's something that can be done to reverse the fraud or to get the money back that was lost, but to let authorities know that these scams and frauds are taking place, that they can warn others, right? That could fall victim to the same thing. So, so, so important. So Jackie, before we jump to final thoughts, I just quickly wanted to touch on, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the industry is looking at uh, ways that they can do better in this area to get to know their clients better so that they can be looking for signs and, and providing um, the best possible advice on how to avoid this stuff. But the Canadian Security Administrators has taken measures to help increase safety against financial abuse for seniors here in Canada. Starting this year, it's being recommended that financial advisors request clients provide a trusted contact person to alert if the advisor has concerns about a client's ability to make financial decisions or if the advisor suspects the client is being exploited. So what's your response to this move and do you have any advice for our listeners on how they should choose their TCP or trusted contact person? Absolutely. I, uh, I've i been using the trusted contact person as part of my overall client engagement, you know, documentation for a number of years now, because, you know, the stats and Annette would know these all too well. The reality is most people don't have powers of attorney in place and, 
you know, and fewer still have wills in place. So if, you know, you don't have any means, if you suspect that a client has lost capacity or that they are suffering from some form of exploitation or abuse, you know, without that trusted contact person, it really, you know, can frustrate you as the, as the advisor because your hands are truly tied. So, you know, um, and I, I'm always careful to, you know, when I speak to clients about adding a TCP to their, you know, their engagement documents with me, you know, I don't have them sign it when I first introduce, you know, the concept. I'll usually say, you know, I'd like you to take a few days to kind of think this over before you decide who you'd like to have listed as your trusted contact person because the key there is trust and you know and and just really thinking about that and again I also assure them that just because this person you're giving me written permission to reach out to them if I suspect that you're in some form of harm or inability to make decisions that will benefit you um, it's not that I'm going to call that person and share with them all aspects of your financial plan. It's just that I'm going with your permission now to call that person and say, you know, I've been working with your your mother or your, you know, your friend, your aunt for a number of years. And, you know, in a recent interaction, I suspected that there was something going on that's not usual. And I, you know, they've given me permission if that were to ever happen to reach out to you so that you can check in to see if they're okay. And, you know, an example of that, that's really simple, but was powerful. And, and this is why I started using the TCP is because an advisor had shared an instance where he had been speaking with a client and who was very astute and very, you know, knowledgeable in their financial affairs, but this conversation was off and it just wasn't going the way he had expected when he reached out to the trusted contact person and they checked in on this client, it turned out the client had, you know, uh, an infection and because of the infection, uh, it was having an impact on their, you know, on their overall alertness and their, you know, their, um, their, their mind. So antibiotics were administered by a doctor once they were seen and within a couple of days they were back to their old self. So that, could, that avoided, you know, what could have been a tragedy. So I think the TCP is an, an amazing idea and, you know, but I think again, it's something that people should enter into with a lot of thought and a lot of, you know, um, ask questions about what, what the TCP gives people access to. Yeah, so, so important. Listen, we're out of time for today, but very quickly, uh, if Jackie, if people did want to reach out, what's the best way for them to reach you? The best way would be to call 709-781-3526. Great. Thanks so much for joining me today. And Annette, again, if people wanted to reach out to get some legal advice, talk about a power of attorney, what they should be considering, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, for me, also by telephone, and you can reach me at 834-2424. Great. And as always, of course, I do want to hear from you, my listeners. If you have a comment or a question or a topic you'd like me to discuss here on Your Money, you can email us at yourmoney at bdo.ca or give us a call at 800-563-8337. Until next week, I'm Nancy Snedden. Stay safe and be well, everyone. If you have a question or comment, send an email to yourmoney at bdo.ca. This has been Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, License Insolvency Trustees, on your V- VOCM.